Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your favourite podcast out there, We Watched a Thing. I'm Billy, and I'm joined, as always, by... Someone who suspects this is not your favourite podcast. <laughs> it is. We know it's their favourite. Is it? Topher. How okay. you doing, buddy? I'm good, thanks. That's good. You know this is their favourite. Don't deny it. Okay. This is your favourite. Obviously. <laughs> it's not, is it? Like, right in sync with my level of modesty that this is my favourite podcast. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you are that kind of modest. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about this week, my friend? Feet. <laughs> What? Feet on screen. Feet? Yeah. Half the movie. Really? Yeah. I, d- I must have missed that. Really? Okay. Other- Once upon a time in, in Hollywood is basically just Tarantino living out his foot fetish. <laughs> is it like, do you remember the old the old thumb movies? Like Thumb Tannic and Thumb Wars? I do not. Oh, they filmed entire movies just of people's thumbs and then the CGI'd faces on them. So they did like a whole remake of Titanic with thumbs. Can't wait. It was great. It was good stuff. Is this like that, but with feet? Yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a 2019 comedy drama film written and directed by, of course, Quentin Tarantino, his ninth movie. Stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Emile Hirsch. Margaret Qualley, Timothy Oliphant, Austin Butler, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Dern, and Al Pacino. And it clocks in at like two hours, 45 minutes. What's it about, Tove? About a couple of middle-aged guys hating hippies. Pretty much, yeah. That's not a bad summary. I can get on board with that. I've got a suspicion this conversation is going to be all over the shop, (laughs) which... Like, it's fine, because it's a Tarantino film, so it's allowed to be all over the shop. Like the movie is. Like the movie is, yeah. So, just just warning there. This is not going to be linear, I don't think. (laughs) Uh, Would you say we're ever linear, though? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But I think this is going to be even more. (laughs) So, being being a Tarantino film, of course, people be loving Tarantino, were your expectations fairly high? Yes, they were. I remember when I first... When we first um, found out that both DiCaprio and Pitt were going to be the leads in Tarantino's new film and that Pitt was going to be playing DiCaprio's stunt double, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I'm already happy. Yeah. Just hearing about the film, I was like, I'm happy. So, yeah, expectations were high. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, when this, this movie was pretty highly anticipated by a lot of people. Like, obviously, Tarantino's done a lot of great work. Pitt, DiCaprio, amazing actors. Margot Robbie's on a hot streak. We knew that it was about... Well, I mean, I heard that it was about the Manson murders in, you know, Hollywood. Uh, so, yeah, expectations were high. First DiCaprio film since he won an Oscar. That can't be right. Is that yeah. true? He's had years off. Because The Revenant was 17, wasn't it? Was a few it? years ago. Wow. DiCaprio just spent some time with- Banging models. Yes. <laughs> Doing DiCaprio things. I got to say, I did see um, this uh, chart was done on- DiCaprio's age versus his his date's age and the length of time he and, would date women. And the age of the date is just flatline. Yeah, if anything, going down. <laughs> and I think the longest he's dated someone in like the last 15 years or so was about eight months or something like that. And I mean, that's living your best life, isn't it? No offence to my wife and kids, but I wish I DiCaprioed. I mean, your wife would ditch you for DiCaprio in an instant, so it's fine. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. This was a harder film than usual to 
just avoid knowing anything about before going in because there was a lot of there's a lot of noise around this film, of course. Mm. Um, and so going in, I was already like, I was excited to see the film. I was also like, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this show because all the stuff, all the noise about the film was stuff that as a white dude, I'm not in a place to talk about. What noise is that? I, uh, I, I obviously just, my head's under a rock. <laughs> so specifically, a lot of it was going to be a, things that I'd seen in headlines but hadn't read because I tend, I don't really read stuff about a film before I see it. Yeah. Things around Sharon Tate, Margot Robbie's screen time, and Bruce Lee. Right. And all this stuff, I was like, well, if you want an informed opinion on this, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Okay, so without hearing any of that noise, I'm guessing that that is around the fact that Margot Robbie doesn't really do a lot in the film, not much dialogue, and given that she's virtually the only female in the film, really. Bruce Lee, I'm guessing that that is about the over-the-top way that he is portrayed? Yes, his family- His cultural- His family, as I understand, are not thrilled with his representation of being a massive douche. Yeah, and a little bit of the- that whole kind of thing. Which, yeah. like, if I was if I was Bruce Lee's kid, I'd be like, this is a shit representation of my dad. Yeah. The thing that I think maybe qualifies that is that Bruce Lee in the film is not Bruce Lee Bruce Lee. It's Cliff Booth's recollection of yes. Bruce Lee. That's true. Because this movie does have more cutaways than a Family Guy episode. <laughs> and I think, per- like, personally, I think that that whole sequence where Cliff Booth is- recalling getting booted off set, yeah. like, I don't believe a lot of what happens in You think that. there's unreliable narrator going on in that? Certainly. So I think that, I, yeah, I don't think that Bruce Lee comes off at all well in the film, but I think that's because that's how Cliff Booth is placing yes. it in his mind. I do think that part of the issue around the Bruce Lee thing is that it, it is a, a confusing film in a lot of ways, given that so much of it is based on reality- the only two characters who aren't real are Cliff and Rick, which is a very strange way to do it. And it leaves me sitting there, especially once you've seen the film, because as I said, I'd heard it was around, you know, the Manson murders and stuff, which I think early on was the talk of what the plot was. First of all, that's not really the plot. There's no need for Sharon Tate to be in this film. And I don't understand really why you have these two fictionalized characters as the centerpiece when you're using so many other real life like, let's just not have any real references. I remember when, when we first heard that, yeah, this was Tarantino's next film was going to be around the Manson murders and, and that Sharon Tate was going to be a part of the film. My immediate thought was that Sharon Tate will not die in this film, that this would be an Inglorious Bastards-style retelling of history whereby if these people were real, this is how it would have gone down. Yeah, see, I haven't seen Inglorious Bastards. I know that he's been big lately into this whole fantasizing, rewriting history thing. I know that that's kind of become his shtick in the last couple of years. So I can see how you could have expected that. To me, I, the film just feels so disjointed. To me, this felt more like a series of sketches. And for the most part, I was all right with that. If this had been just like a character study on this aging Western actor and his best mate who happens to be his stunt double, which is what so much of the film was, I'm cool with it. And even, you know, there was a great scene where Cliff Booth goes to the old set and he, he, he meets the Manson family. I would have been cool with that just as a way to kind of set 
the time and place and forego the entire last act. Because that, to me, is where the film really falls off the rails. Like, the idea of the Manson family going to the house next door and getting fucked up is kind of a fun idea for, like, a Saturday Night Live sketch. And that is where this kind of felt. I felt like that scene was really only there for the hyperviolence, so it felt like a Tarantino film. Because before that, it didn't really. And it, it just felt so out of place to me. Is that Are you on the same page or...? For me, I think I probably agree to an extent that the the two kind of halves of the film, which are by no means 50-50, no. don't wed up particularly well for me. Yeah. I didn't need Sharon Tate in the movie. I would have been fine if this was a much tighter, literally just a character study on an aging Western actor. And if the film had ended when he left for Rome, I would have been much happier, I think. There's a funny thing going on with this film that we, in, in a Tarantino film, we're used to following... Our, our leads, who you, oftentimes you can't really call them heroes yep. because oftentimes they're dreadful people. Um, and both Rick and Cliff are, to varying degrees, dreadful people. It's more difficult for me as an audience member watching that because we're so drawn to liking Leo and Brad. Yeah. Now, that's probably entirely intentional, I suspect, because, like, Cliff, Cliff Booth, for instance, Brad Pitt's character, yeah. bad dude, probably, well, I would say, I know people can draw their own conclusion on this, I would say certainly killed his wife. Yes, and my biggest issue with that is the inconsistencies in tone there, What like, that d- does nothing to develop his character. It's not there to to change the way you feel about his character. Like you said, it's it's conflicting because you still feel like you like him. And that is never mentioned before or after a cutaway flashback, which is, again, shown from his point of view. So, I just don't understand the reason for that three-second scene where it's implied he killed his wife. Why is that there? And when it first appeared and his wife's name was Natalie and they were on a boat, I thought I thought it was meant to be maybe like a fun historical fiction thing about Natalie Wood, who was killed on a boat. But again, I don't know why it's there. Other than that, well, dude, you're really awful. But but it's never mentioned again or before that. And as you say, not only is Brad Pitt likable, his character is quite likable. Apart from that one flashback, he's a very likable, seemingly good dude. <laughs> and so with Cliff being this awful person who killed his- Like, he's a person who killed his wife. So that, for me, adds to the, the jarring- element of the final burst of violence where it's on two fronts. One is that Cliff Booth is a closer to real life character than, say, the bride. Yeah. And also in things like Kill Bill and in Inglorious Bastards and in Django Unchained, the violence, a lot of the violence is at a almost Looney Tunes level Absurdity. Whereas when at the end of this film, when Cliff is just brutalizing this young woman, I found it actually quite unsettling. We know these people are there to do murder. Yeah. We know they're from a terrible group of people. Yeah. But in our, in, well, sorry, in my mind, they're not as so clearly identifiably scum of the earth as Nazis in Inglorious Bastards or slave owners in Django Unchained. And so, even though we know they're bad, for me, 
they haven't been established as so bad that I'm okay with just anything happening to them. Yeah. Which I am with the baddies in Inglorious Bastards, for instance. Well, I think part of that comes down to the fact that, sure, these guys are there with the intention to murder. They haven't murdered yet. These guys are just hippies at this stage who haven't done anything yet. So, I, yeah, I know what you're saying about, you know, they're kind of just- treatment <laughs> i guess i don't know <laughs> i don't know if if i missed something like i don't know if part of this is tarantino's intention or whether i i i kind of feel like he's just lost it for me like and i i'm sure i'm gonna get a ton of feedback on this saying that we're crap and that you know because this movie's in the top 250 at the moment i don't get it there were parts of it that i quite liked there was a lot of it that i didn't and I was so excited for this movie, even with its long running time. I'm sure you've heard that there's like a four hour cut out there that Netflix are going to put up as a miniseries. And I was so keen for that. This movie's far too long and there's no need for it to be as long as it is. And I can't imagine what an extra hour 15 is going to encompass. Because as I said, so much of it is cutaways and flashbacks. And if it is just a character study on this aging Western actor, that's fine. I think it's in some ways his most ambitious film, even though it's his quietest film. Let's talk about some positives. Yeah, okay. I'll talk about a glaring positive. Yep. One Leonardo DiCaprio. And Brad Pitt. I think that the acting from both of these gentlemen is outstanding in the film. They're both getting Oscar nominations for this film. Yep. Um, Leo, coming into this, in my opinion, held the mantle for greatest performance in a Tarantino film. Yep. In Django Unchained, he is... Like, the wrong person won an Oscar for that film. It should have been Leo. I don't think his performance in this is quite... Like, I just... I couldn't love his performance as Calvin Candy more in Django. I think he is bloody outstanding in this film, though. You know, the I was reading yesterday that the caravan scene, where he goes back into his trailer... Yeah. That's Leo. That's not in the script. Yeah, right. That's Leo saying to QT, my understanding anyway, is that it's... Him saying to QT, you know what would be good? Yeah, this is, is what he, my character would do. Is he Rick Dalton goes back into his trailer and does this? Yeah. And I actually, I love the I love the bit of direction where when he's talking into the mirror, he talks to the camera. Yes. Instead of himself. Yes. Great touch. Yeah. And one of those bits, and this film is actually littered with bits where you just, you're just like, you are so fucking good at making movies. Here's the thing about Tarantino. He, he, like a lot of great filmmakers, grew up as a lover of film. And so all he's trying to do pretty much 24-7 is emulate great movies. And he often happens to make great movies through doing that. And so a lot of this, the reason it works is because of that. Because he is, you know, it's almost like how Indiana Jones, as a part of being a movie, is trying to you know, call back to these 1930 serials. That's that's what this movie is doing for so much of the part of it that works, is calling back to these older westerns. This movie is much more a western than it is a drama or a comedy, I think. And those elements work so well because he loves movies and just watches the shit out of them and tries to do that. <laughs> and the film is absolutely littered, is my understanding, with little Easter eggs and references that- even those of us who really, really like movies are not even close to getting. Yeah. Things like the posters for Rick Dalton movies have in them like who the screenwriter would have been, yeah. who the producer would have been 
on that was, type of film. If Rick Dalton was a real person and this film had been made with Rick Dalton in it. Yeah. Like the level of detail is, as I understand it, just off the chart. Yeah. Yeah, there are some great touches. And in particular in the first half hour to 45 minutes of the film, I was having a great time. And, the, you know, the entire sequence when we follow uh, Rick Dalton guesting on The Lancer Show with Timmy, Timothy Oliphant, as I said, so much of this feels like kind of short stories set around Rick Dalton. And that probably is my favourite part. His interactions with the young actress, the way that he learns from her and when he breaks down talking about the book he's reading about the ageing cowboy. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff in there. The scenes between those two on set, I really like. Yeah. Um, I love that he's that he's so insecure that even when he receives praise from an eight-year-old, that's enough to make him cry. Yeah. And it's great. It's, it's good on two levels because she's a seriously advanced eight-year-old. <laughs> so that praise actually does mean something. But the fact that he's so – that he needs it so much in his life that he breaks down upon hearing it yeah. is, is a great bit of character. And Leo just knocks it out of the park. I agree. I would, lo- I would love to see a 110-minute cut of this film – that just focuses on Rick Dalton. Because to me, that's where the movie really shines. I don't need Sharon Tate in this movie. I don't think she adds anything, which, you know, that's kind of justified just in the fact that she has barely any dialogue. There's no need for her to be in this movie. And even with the Manson family stuff, you don't need her in this movie. Um, Sharon Tate's sister was apparently brought to tears by Margot's performance. Really? Thought that she absolutely... Well, because she thought that she nailed... Just the Sharon so well, yeah, that it just brought up a lot of feels for her. That's interesting. And I do, I, I think Margot Robbie's really, really good in it. When she's in that sequence where she goes to the cinema yeah. to watch the movie and the enjoyment she gets out of people enjoying the film, actually quite touching that if is- you can get past the giant fucking feet in the foreground. <laughs> and it is, it is amazing how much you do you know, care about her and feel like you know who she is, even without dialogue. That that in itself is clever. Yes, I'll give it that. I think Tarantino taps into something with this film impressively, I think, which is how to film a movie star. Case in point, Brad Pitt driving along with the top down on a highway. Yeah. Like, nothing particularly interesting there, really, in terms of story or whatever, but I'd sit and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> For a long time. Yeah. Just sit and watch shots of Brad. Yeah. Because Tarantino knows what he's got at his disposal. And he's like, fuck it. We've got a movie star. We've got arguably the two movie stars. Yes. Let's use them. Yeah. Another thing Tarantino does exceptionally well is soundtrack. I don't know that I noticed a score in this film, but the soundtrack is great. He, you know, you think back to, you know, even Reservoir Dogs, which has such an exceptional soundtrack. It marries so well to what is happening on screen. This is no different, I think. Just the choices of songs are so good. I was really surprised when Hush came on because I've heard Tarantino say before that once one movie has used a song, as far as he's concerned- It belongs to it's, that movie. It's off the market. Yeah. And given that Hush was used only quite recently, it was in Bad Times at the El Royale, it was one of the better moments in an otherwise middling film. So I was I was like, well, had he already put it into this film when it came out? Because I was like, you're breaking your own rules here, QT. Interesting Which rule, I suppose though. is fine. It's your rule. You can <laughs> ignore it. Interesting rule, though. I'm on board with that. 
I think whoever owns Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin at this point needs to start imposing that rule because that song is getting the shit used out of it. <laughs> yep. What else? Lou Reed's Perfect Day. Yeah. Post train spotting, you can't use that. Yeah, that's, that's out. Off, that's off the market. <laughs> uh, my Heart Will Go On. <laughs> Stop using it, people. That's Titanic's. <laughs> Do you want a fun fact? I love fun facts. You know that about me. So, Janet, one of the production bosses who mm-hmm. won't let Cliff Booth on a on a set, she is played by Lucy Lawless's stunt double from Xena. Okay. That makes sense. I do have a question, though, as to why go with the Aussie slash Kiwi accent? Because she's a Kiwi. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I get that. And as we know, there are Kiwis working in film. I don't know. It threw me off. So, I know we had this discussion way, way back about three billboards. I don't get it. <laughs> but we know that this person was the stu- was a stunt person. So she on- is based on a real person. I don't know if she's based on a real person. Yeah, no, don't buy it. We know because this woman exists in real life that there are Kiwi stunt people. Yeah, don't buy it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would say for me, usually in a Tarantino film, the greatest joy is that if I had to pick one thing, it's the dialogue. He writes dialogue with a snappiness that is almost unrivaled which for me was absent i knew exactly where that sentence was going when you started it and i agree with you a hundred percent i don't think there's anything necessarily bad about the dialogue but it's not pithy it's not which is why as i said earlier i feel like the final scene is there to go, hey, this is a Tarantino film, because nothing prior to that really has that feel to it. I mean, Pulp Fiction is maybe the most quotable film ever. Yeah. Um, this is not. There's some interactions that I really like. Um, at, you know, beginning of the film, Pacino and DiCaprio together talking about the old movies. There, there is stuff there I really like, but- the sheer joy that I get out of just characters talking to each other in things like Pulp Fiction, yeah, not for me in this one. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And again, I think that comes back down to, I, I'm i just not sure if Tarantino really knew where he was. And look, that's unfair of me to say. I'm sure he did. He's a great filmmaker. I'm sure he knew what his intentions were. And for all I know, he's met them. For all I know, this is exactly the movie he wanted to put out. It doesn't feel like it to me. I feel like it's a bit of a jumbled, meandering film. Could be Tarantino working through what it's now like to be no longer the hot new thing, but part of the establishment. Damn hippies. (laughs) (laughs) I like the film nerdery, and it's, it's completely indulgent, but I don't care. I love it, of just the amount of Hollywood offspring in this film, like so many of, of like the Manson kids yeah. and everything are, are kids of, like Uma, Uma Thurman's kid yeah. is in it. Kevin Smith's kid is in it. Yeah. Andy McDowell's kid is, and I think she's fantastic, is, is her name Pussycat, the one who- Oh, she, right. That's Andy McDowell's daughter. And actually now she- you say it, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. And actually I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. I see, and it's part of the creepiness of Cliff Booth, because you're like- Cliff does want to hit that, and the only reason he's not is because it's against the law. He he, wants to. Here's the thing I don't buy about that entire sequence. He fucking hates hippies. We know that. He hates hippies. 
He's not going to bang this girl because she's underage. And he knows she's underage without asking her. So why does he pick this girl up and drive her home if he hates hippies? That's a very good question. Yeah. It's not. It just doesn't add up. (laughs) Something doesn't add up, mate. (laughs) But she's fantastic. And actually, the sequence out at the property, I think, is really good. Yeah. And as I said, I have no problem with that as a sequence, as, as a way to set the time and place. I just didn't need the continuation of the Manson story in the final act. Mm. But yeah, I, I think that was a fantastic scene. You know, and the, the tension it builds when he's, you know, kind of threatening to go and, and talk to the guy who owns the property. It's, it's very well done. That was going to be Burt Reynolds. Oh, really? Then he died. That's and so it became Bruce Dern. I mean, it's sad that he died anyway, but it's also sad because it would have been great. Yeah. Anyway, Dern's a good replacement <laughs> yeah, if you need one. Does all right. Might as well be Bruce Dern. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, as I said, it's it's not that this is a bad film, and maybe the problem was my expectations because I was expecting, I wasn't so much expecting it to be more of a fictionalized account where things go completely differently, and. And then when the film started, and to be honest, the first hour and a half has nothing to do with Manson, and I preferred that so much more when we were just focusing on Rick Dalton. I just felt like the movie was a little bit inconsistent in what it was, which was the shame for me. All in all, I'm sadly giving it a five. Expectations do play a role here. I remember with Hateful Eight coming out of that and thinking, if I hadn't known who whose film this was going in, I'd have been like, yeah, that was totally enjoyable, mm. but I can't help but think of it and rate it as a Tarantino film, which made yeah. it for me okay. Um, this film, when it finished, I was I had a fine time at the cinema. I had a fine time. I mean, there's things about it that I love. Yeah, same. And yeah. there's a bunch about it which I'm pretty that I'm kind of meh on. And there's things I don't like about yeah. it. All in all, I probably like it enough to give it a six. Yeah. So that's fine. The the bad part of that is that now, with if he's true to his word, we have one more Tarantino film. And at this rate, for me, the back end of his career yeah. is going to be, like, okay. Yeah. Which, like, okay, who cares? Whatever. First world problem. But <laughs> also does bum me out. Look, here's the thing. I, I highly doubt he'll be true to his word. To be honest, it's a stupid thing to say. How long ago did he say it? He said it between Hateful Eight and this, I think. Or maybe it was before Hateful Eight. Either way, he said it without even knowing what his next couple of films were. So, you know, he's a man who, he's a creative. He's always going to keep coming up with ideas. Well, he said that, yeah, that he might well start doing stage scripts or novels or something. See, I'd be in for that. A stage script would force him to go back to his more pithier dialogue, and I would love to see that. I mean, I'd I'd love to see a Tarantino-led Netflix series. This started example. as a book. He started writing this as a as a novel and then was like, actually, no, I'm going to make this a movie. Yeah, I feel like this would work so much better as a book. But then all the all the visual cues of film stuff that he loves mm. are gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think really the only reason I would revisit this film is to try and pick up on more film nerdery stuff because I don't think I need this film in my life again. Yeah. But it's, it's not going to leave the conversation anytime soon because come award season- this film's going to be around. Yeah. It's a movie, it's a Tarantino film about Hollywood. Starring Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio. And a lot of people do love it. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's in the top 250 of IMDb currently. I know that its score is like 8.9 or something. It's very, very high. 
I've got no beef with people enjoying it. Like you said, I had a fine time in the cinema. I just wouldn't revisit it. I'm curious to see what my wife thinks of it because she is going on Friday night with your sister. She has now, like I haven't spoiled anything, but she knows that I didn't love it. So her expectations might be a bit more tempered. I'm curious to see if she has a better time. All right. What are we going to do next week, buddy? Next week, we're not leaving the couch next week, are we? Nah, we got back on the Patreon train, my friend, getting to a space odyssey. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which is not 2001 A Space Odyssey. No, one is, of our- pa- Is it set in space? Am I correct? A lot of it is. Okay, good. All right, I wasn't too far off. <laughs> a lot of it is. Um, Billy's asking me that because he has not seen Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, which is what a patron has requested. So next week, we'll be talking about that. That's right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show and make us watch something that I haven't seen or Topher hasn't seen or even something we've both seen, and you know, we'll watch whatever you tell us to because- Them's the rules. <laughs> that's, that's it. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing and we'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie.